You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Sailor O'Brien was born with spina bifida. She started skiing with Wasatch Adaptive Sports, a moving native member organization, when she was just four years old. Sailor loved going fast, so when she was around 10, she decided she wanted to ski race. Sailor found the National Ability Center, another moving native member organization in Utah, to hone her skills. Although she qualified for the 2022 Winter Paralympic Games, she was unable to go. So now, she has her sights set on the 2026 Paralympics. Let's chat with her. So, Sailor, I thought we'd start by just kind of asking how adaptive sports played a role in your life growing up. Yeah, so um, a lot of my childhood was playing a lot of different kinds of sports. Um, that was something that my parents were really adamant about, was getting into athletics and trying to do something uh, fun outside of school and that kind of thing. And so uh, I tried a lot of different uh, adaptive programs. You know, I did the wheelchair basketball and the wheelchair tennis, um, soccer, uh, rock climbing, sled hockey. Um, And then at age four, I tried skiing. Um, And that kind of was my my favorite thing and and it's kind of just stayed with me um and so i just decided that that was kind of my my sport to do and why why do you think it was that particular sport out of all the ones that you tried um i think i think the the component of like being outside um and uh i just had like such a feeling of independence. Um, I think that was something that I like really uh, wanted to feel for myself um, being, you know, someone with a disability that, you know, like that can sometimes require like um, a lot of either asking for help or, you know, figuring out how to do it by yourself. And so like, I think the skiing for me was that it was, I could do it independently. Um, and I could just like rip up the slopes, you know, for a few hours and just, you know, have fun. Um, and I just really liked going fast too. So <laughs> I think, I think that's a commonality among yeah, anybody yeah. who wants to, who wants to compete in, in skiing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> better, better like going fast. <laughs> yeah. And so, so how is skiing more into more independent um, than maybe just other common, you know, daily activities or uh, or or other even other sports? Um, I think at least you know the way that that I was taught was more of like a independent way of teaching me how to ski that my instructor was really wanting it to be like pretty much full independent um I think that's where we both wanted to like be able to get to that point where I could 
just go out by myself eventually if I wanted to. Um, whereas some people, you know, with a higher level of disability or, you know, whatnot, uh, might need somebody to help them and go out with them, which is any way you can get outside is fantastic. You know, like kudos to you and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I really pushed for full, full independence, um, and just figuring out how to do it by myself. And I, were you still kind of doing multiple sports or at some point in time, did you realize, okay, I want to focus just on this activity or just on this sport? Yeah. I mean, after I had been kind of skiing for a few years and was like kind of getting the hang of it and was liking it a lot, I was trying out like sled hockey um, and rock climbing. I did for a little bit um, mountain biking um, but I still was just going back to the skiing. I just was like, this is, this is my favorite thing that I, that I really enjoy doing. So. And when, how old were you when you realized you wanted to do it more than just fun? I would say like in between the ages of like 10 and 12. Um, and I'm 20 now. So just for context, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely like in between 10 and 12, like preteen um, area of like kind of becoming a teenager and, you know, wanting to wanting to do things by myself. And, you know, I also was then watching uh, the Olympics and Paralympics and I saw that they had had the, the alpine skiing and I thought it was so cool. Um, and so for me, that was like an easy thing for me to be like, Okay, like I want to go do that. <laughs> and uh, was it a a particular thing that that made you realize that you know, hey, I'm good at this. I I could I could compete at this on a national and even international level. Um, I think, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with like my progression and recreational skiing towards kind of like when I was starting to look at, you know, Paralympics and Alpine skiing and, and competition in that way. Um, it was obvious that like I was skiing like really good and I was going on like double blacks with my instructor and it was just, it was just kind of apparent that like I was getting really good technically. And so, and then watching the alpine skiing and then also relating it to that um when i was learning how to ski they would take me through like their little ski school obstacle course that you go around like the little objects or whatever um and so for me i related that to like the gates that they use in alpine skiing and that like i really enjoyed doing that um when when i was learning and so i don't know i think it was just super easy for me to be like oh well i'm already kind of doing that i guess and you know it seems fun and um i've got a little competitiveness in me so like why not just try it out <laughs> and it's only progressed so i'm I'm like oh well i guess i'll still go 
a little competitiveness, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And um, so when did you get classified and when did you start actually competing? And and how how were those first early years in the competition uh, circuit? Um, I believe I got classified, I would say, like 2015, 2016. Um, and, uh, I did my, like, first race or whatever. Um, I, like, Obviously, my my mind was not on like placing or anything because I was like, "There's no way." <laughs> um, but um, I really like enjoyed the community and just like kind of the family uh, community that the ski racing for para you know brings. Um, and I met a you know a lot of people, um, you know, within that that are you know I'm still friends with today. And then I'm still racing with today. Um, and yeah, no, and, and, you know, we, you know, got myself, uh, sit ski. And before I had chosen to compete, I was, uh, four tracking skiing. And then based on my classification, um, they told me that I could either learn how to sit ski or not compete at all based on my disability. So I took about a season and a half um, off in between that and learned how to sit ski. Um, I picked it up pretty quickly. And I think the fact that I had skied before was really helpful. Um, but uh, yeah, so then I I did that. And I actually love it more than four tracking. I think I, I think I went out once with some friends after I had learned and uh, went out for tracking and I was like, I hate this. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I've stuck with the sit skiing. Um, but yeah, I know. And then like my first season was super uh, awesome and was like super uh, valuable in like my sort of what I could then see as my goals for the future um, and just kind of see where I am and, and, you know, that sport of it all, you know, and, you know, was like still really stoked and really wanted to keep doing it um, and wanted to, you know, start to win. And, you know, I really wanted to go to the Paralympics and that was definitely, you know, kind of my goal for, for the first beginning few years. But the move to the Siski was de- definitely just a classification thing, right? So you had to you had that choice to make and and, and you made it. I did. <laughs> I did. I think, yeah, I think I loved the skiing too much and that I I really thought that like I could go to the Paralympics. So for me it was like I don't know if I want to let go of this dream that I have. And um, so I just was like, cool, I will take a season off and learn how to do it and, you know, go back. And and it's been great ever since. So, 
And so, you know, in terms of a classification perspective, obviously there's the standing and the seated and the visual impairment and, and blind cat- pl- mm. blind classifications in alpine skiing. And so let's talk a little bit more about your actual pieces of equipment. Um, mm. Talk a little bit about your mono ski. How did you go about getting a piece of equipment? Because I know it's expensive um, and it's an expensive sport. So talk about that. Yeah. So when I was the first few years of sit skiing and starting to compete, um, I was on a Nissan rig with a bucket that was from Tyler Walker. Um, that he was like, this, this will probably fit you. And I was like, sweet. (laughs) Um, so I put that on and then, um, yeah, so I had this like kids Nissan rig sit ski with this, you know, legendary Tyler Walker seat on, on it, you know, it was amazing. (laughs) Um, and you know, and that's what I was on for the first few years. Uh, and, um, I've I've moved to something else now, but um, yeah, that those first few years of being on the Nissan and just learning how to you know take care of my equipment, how everything engine like engineering wise works. Um, I think that was really a cool uh, thing to like kind of nerd about, I guess. <laughs> um, and I mean, mo- most of the equipment was just uh, hand-me-down stuff. I was still using the, out- the outriggers for sit skiing that I had used for, for tracking. Hmm. Um, but then a lot of the skis that I were using were just skis that we found that were like, oh, this seems like it'll work. And we were like, okay, sweet. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, and it, it is it's an extremely expensive sport. So I, you know, had to uh we worked with the National Ability Center a lot because that's um what I was doing uh competition team with with their club team. Um and so they they helped me get uh the Nissan um and I did that, and then um, they also helped me get this uh, new rig that I have called the Hydra from Dynaxis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely been a lot of, you know, hey, this is really expensive. I need help. <laughs> Can you, you know, help me? And, you know, finding different organizations that will help fund different things and different equipment. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, still to this day, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to afford this. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is incredibly expensive, but uh, I mean, I love it. So it's just something you kind of have to figure out. But um, that's what's like really great about you know organizations like Move United and also the National Ability Center, and you know, there's so many out there um, that are so willing to help you get the stuff that you need to get out there. Um, so that's been really awesome. Well, and I think, you know, just the, the personal drive to also make it happen mm-hmm. is yeah. critical. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so you've been on the national team for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. How are you training? We're, we're doing pretty good. Um, 
there's been a lot of uh, changes in between uh, last season and then this upcoming season. Um, we were governed by the USOPC, and then now we are governed by US Ski and Snowboard. So we've switched organizations that kind of are in charge of uh, our sports. And so that's brought a lot of different changes um, and a lot of team changes. Um, new staff and new budgeting type stuff, new uniforms, all sorts of new stuff. So it's been a little bit of like a... Um, unknown type scenario for a little bit here um, of just trying to figure out, well, what's next? Like, you know, and, and how do we, how do we, you know, make this season the best it can be? Um, and so, yeah, but uh, we just came back from Chile for about three weeks um, and it snowed a lot. So there's a lot of powder skiing. <laughs> still, still good training though. Still good training. Um, but yeah, and then we've got some camps coming up here soon in November, and then December we hit competition. And what do you focus on in your training? Are you working on speed, control? What are the things that you need to work on the most, personally? Um, well, I could tell you that the one thing I really need to work on the very most is probably my confidence. I think that's been like a huge uh, thing for me within the last season and this coming season. Um, it's just knowing that I have the ability to move and maneuver and manipulate the ski in the way that I need to, to be able to go fast. Um, but it's more, it's more of a mental game for me and, kind of letting letting go um and just kind of letting my body do what it needs to do and i know that it it knows what it's supposed to do um so i think that's that's a big thing that i'm working on is is just my mental confidence and and knowing that i just have to trust myself a little bit more so that's obviously a little bit more intangible than a a technical mm -hmm. skill. So how do you, yeah. how do you do that? Oh, um, I mean, it, uh, I, I'm approaching it in a way of, I just need to scare myself a little bit, just every day, just scare myself a little bit more and then the next day, a little bit more and then scare myself just a little bit more, um, just to kind of, get comfortable with being uncomfortable um and then that creates like oh wow like you know that thing that scared me a little bit you know that actually felt really good and i'm gonna do that you know try and do that again next run or or that kind of stuff and you know then that creates more confidence and you know and then as the steps go up from you know doing the little things that are that i might find you know nerve-wracking or scary like you know, and then being able to do them and see like, oh, everything's fine. I'm not dead <laughs> or injured or anything like that, you know. So like I'm not, you know, going to 
necessarily hurt myself if I do it properly kind of thing. And, you know, so it just, it gains a lot of confidence for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you've podiumed a couple of times. So how does it feel to, to be in that kind of uh, position? Good. Really good. Um, I was, yeah, I was really stoked last season. Um, I podiumed at my first World Cup and also at World Champs. Um, and which I wasn't really expecting, nor was I like anticipating that I would or wasn't even really on my mind to achieve because I just was like, I'm going in fresh, you know, just sort of getting the experience of the World Cup circuit and, you know, that high level of ski racing. Um, so it was certainly surprising um and it was super cool um i will forever remember it and uh yeah and we talked a little bit about um equipment and you know even just this psychology part of it what else does a uh, an elite athlete like yourself uh, a competitive alpine skier need in order to excel in the sport um, passion. <laughs> um, I think passion for your sport. Uh, and I mean, cause you know, when you get to that high level, like it's tough mentally and physically on your body. And, you know, there's, there's some days that I like, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, and so like, I, I think that um, in order for athletes like myself to keep going at this high level, there has to be some sort of passion about it. There's got to be something about it that you still love um, and that it's still fun for you. Um, I've watched some athletes, you know, do it even though they don't find it as fun anymore and they just feel like it doesn't light that fire within that within them anymore. Um, and that makes me like so sad, <laughs> you know? So for me, I just really think that you gotta have a passion for the sport when things get hard. That's a very good point. And, and fun. You still, it still has to yeah. be fun for you. You still have to have fun. Yep. Absolutely. And what is, uh, you mentioned, obviously, the National Ballet Center, which is a great organization and a mem moving and a member organization. Yeah. Um, talk about the role of coaching and the role of having support from, you know, an adaptive sport program like, like NAC. They've been absolutely fantastic. Um, when I was skiing recreationally, I was with uh, Wasatch Adaptive Sports. Mm -hmm. And then once I was wanting to look into competition club teams, um, we saw that the NAC had one um, and they weren't that far. And so that was kind of an easy, easy thing for me to pick. Um, but I was so blown away by like the, the support just in general from the organization. And then also, you know, the, Coaching was amazing. Um, uh, the he's no longer uh, the head coach for the NAC, but uh, Eric 
Larry Fong was mm-hmm. he used to be a national team coach. Um, so he's and he's been around a long time and he's seen it all, you know, all basically. And so um I felt like really safe in his hands of coaching and and really trusted him. And um I think that he's one of the main reasons I've gone to where I am um is because just his his coaching and his and his willingness to also learn along with me um and it's just it's been great and uh and i you know i still train with the nac while i'm home away from um any sort of camps or competitions with the national team so i really love having that kind of like duo of (laughs) nac training and then the national team training um and it's just such a it's such a good combination and i love to see the nac athletes and the new ones that are coming up and um we've got more uh females this uh last year and this year um and while i was training with them for the last six years i was pretty much the only female mm-hmm. since joining the national team and so i was i'm so stoked for these younger ladies coming up that are that are learning and um getting to watch them sort of grow and and being able to sort of mentor and coach them as well and you know so that's that's been really cool so obviously um when you were 10 11 years old watching the paralympics uh what are your goals um well i think once i sort of was like okay well this could actually like happen and like was figuring out how to really make this happen. My initial goal was the 2022 Beijing games, um, to which I did not, not attend. I qualified for, but I chose not to attend. Um, that was, that was my original, like, this is the big, the big goal or whatever. Um, and I had that, in my head for like six years of just like, okay, like these ones, like the 2020, you know, like just, and, you know, sharing my story with people and, you know, telling them like going to this game and that and that kind of thing. And so, um, that was, that was kind of the big thing for a while. Um, and then of course, like the pandemic hit and everyone's questioning whether it's going to even happen and all the stuff and it's just it's so chaotic and and that kind of stuff um and before uh before the games like i had i qualified at a race um which i was so stoked that i could even qualify Mm -hmm. for you know like that's huge um but i think ultimately at the time, I just didn't feel like it was just what I was supposed to do. I don't know. I just kind of had this sense of like it's it's not these ones, it's the next ones kind of kind of thing. I just I really trusted that um the next ones were were gonna be my my I don't know. Maybe when I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. 
But uh, yeah, so now I'm shooting for 2026, uh, Cortina. But uh, yeah, so definitely shifted the mindset. Um, and of course, like not going to the this past games was devastating for like my little childhood self um, because that was my goal for so long. Um, but I mean, it's almost made me even like hungrier <laughs> to like get to 2026 and to, and to really hone in on my training to like be even better than I could have raced in the games before. So. And I'm sure say that was a, an easy decision. So no. <laughs> it was wasn't, it, but was it a more of a, was it a hundred percent a mental decision or, or psychological decision or was there part physical decision in there or, or what was, or a combination? Um, I would say like a combination, probably more, um, mental. Um, I just think that I just didn't feel quite ready for it. I, I mean, I think I could have gone and like been okay or in, in, in that, you know, high pressure, you know, Paralympics. But um, I just, yeah, I think I was like wanting to give myself more time to be even more prepared and to be even um more seasoned in my like international racing and and that kind of stuff and so it was pretty it was it was a really hard decision and a lot of tears went into that decision um but i just think that like waiting isn't necessarily a bad idea you know there's there were so many other benefits to waiting and so I just was like, okay, <laughs> I'll wait, you know, so, but I, and I don't have any regrets about it. So. So now totally focused on 2026. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And what advice do you have for just, um, you know, as you've even interacted with, you know, other, other younger athletes, what advice do you give a, a, a young person with a, with a disability um, in terms of wanting to just get out, get that person out on the, out on the slopes, out on the snow, what advice would you give? Mm. Um, well, I think my first thing would be that, uh, I, I see, um, a lot of especially in the adaptive community, um, a lot of stuff around um, when someone is in self-doubt about their capabilities um, and their, like, whether they can mentally do something like that or, you know, and even if it is just recreational um, sport, I see quite a lot of that, you know, person is, you know, I don't know if I can do this and this could be really hard. And I don't know if, you know, it's a lot of, I don't know. And 
I see a lot of, you know, their community, which is great and fantastic that like someone can have, you know, the community surrounding them saying like, no, you can do it. Like, you definitely got this. Like, don't, you know, think like that and like definitely go for it or whatever. And which is fantastic and great. But um, I do think that you also have to be intuitive to yourself in that, like, if you really can't do it, then don't, you know, if it's not healthy for you or if you don't think that it's what you want to do or if Mm -hmm. that's not what you're entirely passionate about or, you know, so many, like, things of, like, if you really don't think you can do it, then don't. And that's totally okay. Um, Which is like not what a lot of people have the mindset about. And, you know, it's great that like you have, you know, people to be like, no, you can do it. And then you can look at yourself and well, maybe I can. And, you know, and that's when you go into sort of a trial and error phase of, you know, seeing if, you know, figuring it out and, and that kind of thing. And, um, which is totally a part of the process, but, um, yeah, I definitely think that like you have to be intuitive to what you really want to do. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And you have to be ready and you have to be. Yeah. Ready. Yeah, absolutely. If, if people are interested in following your journey and story, are you mm-hmm. on social, certain social media platforms? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, um, and then you can also just follow our um, team on Instagram and Facebook, um, and uh, online on usskiensnowboard.com as well. Um, yeah, 